the whole church family. This is it. We've reached the end of this little series on the fruit of the Spirit. Uh, we end with self-control. And as we um, just kind of reflect back on what we've uh, gone through, we realize that the fruit of the Spirit is a singular fruit that's in our life that is produced because of the Lord's work in us and through us. Uh, because of what Christ has done in our life, we are now free to be able to have to to live in a way that's actually pleasing to Him. And we look at the fruit as a singular fruit, meaning that it's not just like we can have one of these things only, or even most of these things. But that as a Christian, they all nine of these should just show up in in different forms. Like all of them should be there. Uh, it should not be missing, um, because if there's something missing, it means that it's it's somehow incomplete, which I think if for us, it would mean that perhaps um, we aren't saved, right? If you have eight of the nine, and, and again, all nine of these are interwoven with each other, then there's something missing. Um, I, I started out with this whole series talking about this tree that mm-hmm. Kelly and I saw when we were in L.A., the, 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 the Christmas tree with the ornaments and the real tree that's right next to it. And um, we know that even the even though the... the there are some things that look similar in terms of fruit. One of them is an ornament that's just plastic that could, uh, that's beautiful, but is it's not real. It's not it's not fed and nurtured by the tree. Uh, it's something you place and if uh, possible, uh, it was just the, not just the ornament, but the entire tree will go away. Uh, but there's a tree right next to it, which is a real tree that is uh, watered by real water and bears real fruit. Um, and that's really the life of the Christian. Uh, you are either one. Uh, you should be the one that is actually bearing true and real fruit. Like the psalmist in Psalm 1 said that we are, uh, we are planted next to the streams, that we're being fed by the word of God, and it produces true and living fruit. And at the same time, there are those that are in the context of the church that may have uh, seemingly uh, these, or, these ornaments or these attributes, uh, but are not driven by the by the by the love of Christ, or moved by the Spirit of Christ, but rather they just know that this is just the right behaviors to have so that they can navigate through the church. And over time, you'll see that those people eventually leave the faith and they'll be cast out. So when we get to this last one, self-control is the, I think, is the um, the one that, I, I mean, each of these have so far compared to how the culture sees it. But self-control is unique in that it is something that the culture intentionally tells us not to have, but at the same time trying to tell us to do to to have self-control. Um, example for Hollywood, they are always producing things like um, you know like sex films or things that have a strong sexual content, but yet they put these and they expect people to have somehow self-control. Uh, so they they put all of these other regulations like consent or or these different movements like Me Too. So they feed you things that make you, that stirs up uh, desires in your heart, but yet they try to put these restraints in you. And this is a way of the system to try to, like, abuse people. Um, and that's the same way with everything else. Like, uh, um, the world functions in trying to make us uh, want something, but at the same time making something else that allows us to try to deny those things. Um, it's this constant cycle uh, that the world does because they don't have any clue on uh, what self the, the dangers of losing self-control. But as a Christian, uh, we know that we have we need to have self-control. We need to have control over our, our emotions. Uh, we need control over every area of our body. In fact, the word here in the Greek is, is, is it is this idea of restraint of one's emotions, impulses, and desires. 
So every part of you as a Christian, you should be able to say yes to or no to. Uh, there isn't any part of your body and your thought and life and anything that goes on that you are mastered by. And we understand that First Corinthians 6, 12 says that we're not mastered by anything. We're not mastered by food. We're not mastered by the, the situations around us. We're not mastered by the world's thinking. We have the mind of Christ, and that should drive us to have control over our vessels. Um, and we know that our biggest problem, you know, is ourself, right? We have things like uh, self-pity, self-praise, self-glory, self-deception, self-importance, uh, self-centeredness. And we need to have each and every one of those things under control because they're all stem from sinful, sinful desires and, you know, our, our flesh. But if a person has self-control, all of those things will be in check. Um, as believers, we understand that the Bible gives us uh, boundaries. We can enjoy life in the confines of God's boundaries. Right? You understand that when Bibles doesn't actually prohibit us to not have sex, but rather it's only in the confines of marriage as pleasing and honoring to him. Um, we're we're, we're, we are told to enjoy food. Food is good for the body, but when we uh, indulge and are mastered by food, that's not how the body was intended for. Um, that's, what, that's not what, even what food is intended for. We were, we we're supposed to eat to, to the glory of God and enjoy it, but we're not supposed to be controlled by our appetites. Um, you know, or even our thoughts. We're supposed to use our minds as a tool to to uh, to think critically, uh, to solve problems, and to to think of things that are pure and lovely and good. Uh, but when we allow uh, sinful thoughts to creep in, uh, we lack that self-control and it corrupts us completely. We can have uh, boundaries, and that's actually within the confines of the boundaries of God. <clears throat> when we are living in those boundaries, that's when we actually find joy. Uh, think about um, in Scripture, all of these different commands that we see, whether it's um, not just the fruit of the Spirit here, but we're told to like, control our tongue. That's that's a that's a form of boundary that we need to have. Uh, when, we're, uh, when we're called to uh, evangelize, that's the, that's the things that that gives a boundary of what our missions are supposed to be as a church. Um, when we talk about when we see passages about how we need to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of Christ, these are boundaries by which Christ has set because these boundaries are good. Boundaries, I think, contrary to what the world thinks, that the world tells us that we don't need to have no boundaries and be who we are. But then, at the same time, they eventually they get to a point where they say that's too much and that's uh, too chaotic. Uh, but by then, usually it's too late. This is like the time of the judges. At the time of judges are people who choose not to have any self-control. And what usually happens when a society loses all self, uh, senses of self-control and self-restraint is that it just plunges itself into ruins. As Christians, we are free from that. We're free from saying yes to sin. In fact, uh, sometimes people think that because we're saved, because we're saved by grace, that must mean then that uh, we could do whatever we want. And Paul tells us, no, in Romans 6, just because we have the ability uh uh, so that's just because we're free from the wages and, uh, of sin. That does not give us a right to be able to do whatever sin we like. No, Christians are called to live in the confines of Scripture. Alistair Begg said it this way, we are, uh, we are held in bounds, but not held in bonds. We are held in bounds, but we're not held in bonds. That's very helpful, just to kind of... Uh, summarize the idea you know, we're held in in bounds like there's boundaries that we cannot cross that is actually but if we stay within it it will give us joy blessing and meaning and uh but we're not held in bonds we're not held in the bondage of sin or any type of temptation or any type of desire that would hinder us 
um, to give God glory because that's how the Lord designed us. Our Lord was not, did not design the human body to live in sin, right? We know this to be true because when Adam and Eve sinned, the moment that they sinned, corruption entered into them and all of creation. Sin corrodes and sin destroys. And the new life of a believer means that we have self-control. We can keep those things at bay. We have the ability to, to say no to the temptations of the devil or, 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 or circumstances or even desire or even fleshly desires that we have in our own hearts. Sin uh, is inside the believer. It's, it's always uh, the, the residual parts of us. And it's, it's something that we do every single day. We need to mortify sin. We need to kill sin. Uh, and you can't do that unless you have self-control. Self-control is saying no to things that are um, that are not pleasing to the Lord. Self-control is not also self-control is not necessarily just not doing uh, the wrong things, but also doing the right things. So, for example, if you go to sleep on time, that's self-control. But that's not just doing the things that you need to do, but also waking up on time. That's also self-control. That both of them are self are, are self-restraints. Um, you 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 set up a time where you have to commit to something, and then you also set a time where you have to deny yourself of something. Uh, you have to deny yourself of sleeping in, or you have to um, deny yourself of of wanting to hit the snooze button. Both of them are self-control. Sleeping on time and waking up on time, these are all ways in which uh, we have self-control. I think the key is that it's, it's not, I'm not going to list a thing, I'm not going to list like what time you wake up or sleep or whatever, but the key is that you can control your body, that you're not moved by your flesh, that you, uh, your, your body is subjected to you. You're not subjected to your body. That's what self-control is, that you have control over your vessels. And, uh, and you think about everything, whether or not just sleep, but in your speech. Sometimes you need to, uh, to hold, tame your tongue. That's in the book of James, where you have to hold back the things you say. And other times you need to speak out loud. That's what Ephesians tells, tells us to speak the truth in love. Uh, sometimes in, uh, in um, you know, our emotions, uh, we need to have control over emotions. Um, because if we don't have control over emotions, then uh, we tend to act out in ways that are sinful. This isn't to say that you can't have emotions, but those emotions are always subjected under uh, what you want it to do. Um, and the, you know, the more that we grow in Christ-likeness, the more self-control. It's not going to be easier. It's just that we have a greater desire to do it. Um, and this is why when the world tries to set rules and boundaries, it doesn't work. Um, there's a difference between the boundaries that God set and the difference between the boundaries that man sets. Because when man makes the rules or, or some sort of law, it only educates the individual, but it doesn't eradicate the sinfulness of the person. You know, the world standards are things that you need to put out externally, externally, and they may educate you on why these things are bad, but it doesn't change the heart. That's why we call it the fruit of the spirit, because it's something internal. You have, you're regenerated. You have a new desire, new abilities to say no to sin. Laws, and rules only educate, but it doesn't eradicate. Uh, self-control can only happen when you have a changed heart. So when you like, live your life, when you think about your life, ask yourself, why don't I have self-control? Why am I always giving in to this type of sin? Why can't I say no to um, this, uh, uh, these type of things? Whatever it may be. Why, why, can't I, uh, why can't I stop glancing at a person this way? Or why can't I... Um, 
uh, not have self-control in terms of my emotions? Uh, why can't I control my tongue? Um, well, the reason why that is is because um, you're probably focused on your own selfish desires instead of the Lord. Um, as Christians, our new desires should always be pleasing to the Lord. I think I've said this before, where um, in our culture, we try to define things sometimes as like, you know, the term introvert and extroverts. Uh, like sometimes extroverts think that, oh, because I'm extrovert, I can say whatever I want and they blame it. Oh, it's okay because I'm extrovert. Uh, I'm loud. I'm, uh, I, I'm energetic. That's because I'm an extrovert. Uh, and then the introvert is, is, you know, is the one that doesn't want to speak to anyone. And then when people ask, oh, why are you so, you know, why are you so like closed off? Like, oh, it's because I'm an introvert. Both of them are wrong. You're being controlled by what the world's definition of what you need to be as a Christian. You understand, you have self-control. So the one that is always extroverted, the one that's usually loud and energetic, they need to have control over the vessels. They need to know when to act and when, when not to speak. And for the introvert, they need to uh, have their identity in Christ and be able to know when to you know, speak in the church and in fellowship with other people. You know, you're not defined by what, ex- what the world thinks. But that's how the world labels us, and then we fall prey into thinking, oh, that's just who we are, so we have no self-control. But as a Christian, we do have self-control. There is a time for everything, time to speak, a time to not say anything. Uh, there's a time to play, there's a time to work, there's a time to rest, and there's a time, there's a time to, uh, to work. You know, that's just the reality of our life, that we have control over every aspect and every time of our life. And we have to understand that the reason why we're able to do this is because of God's grace. God's grace is a reason and should be the drive for us to be able to, to live for him. Second Corinthians 5 tells us that the love of Christ controls us. We understand how great and how much our Heavenly Father loves us. It should make us want to live for him. We want to say no to uh, anger or pride or, or a lust or... Um, or, or everything, any sin, uh, to, to uh, uh, disputes or dissensions, factions, jealousy, um, drunkenness. We say no to these things because you and I know that, okay, we want to please our Father. He loved us so much that, uh, that He died on our, on our, He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. Why would I go back to the sin that destroyed <coughs> my Savior? And that's, that love for Christ is what drives us to want to live a life that is pleasing to Him. So that's self-control. Um, self-control is something that uh, all of us need. Um, some of us, probably, I mean, some of us probably, all of us need it, uh, but some of us uh, probably need to think more about why uh, we need to grow in this area. Um, and this, you know, in a lot of ways, this whole series, when we're looking through, I remember I started out by saying that we want to think and evaluate and, and reflect on our own lives, not strictly because of for our own salvation, though that is important. But I think as Christians, we need to want to be these things because it gives us, allows us to be a fragrant to those around us. Uh, it either draws the believer, fellow believer, to be more like Christ, or it will draw non-Christians to want to know our Savior. But if we're not these things, in the in the sphere of influence in our life sees that, that they'll have no desire to want to know our Savior. Um, this is why uh, when we study this, list, well, at least for me, when I study this, list, I was this is extremely grueling and, and, and hard because I realized that I am not where I would like to be. Uh, I will always want to be better at, at love and joyful and being 
uh, and be at peace and be patient, kindness, uh, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, all of these things I want to grow in uh, because I want Christ to be made known. I want people to see my life and, and think, wow, that's a, ta- that's a little bit of who their, their God looks like. That's a little bit of who he is. That should be our, our drive. That we love Christ so much that we want other people to love him as well. We see the beauty and the magnificent glory of our Savior and how great he is and he, how much joy he brings us and how much satisfaction means that we could only get from Christ, that we want others to experience the same thing as well. We want others to know the Savior. We want, this, we want other people to be rescued by God. And that's why we should strive to live in the Spirit and not the flesh. Um... So we should always strive for that. So really, when we go back to the fruit that shows tree illustrations, a fake tree has ornaments that's not being fed by anything. They're just there for a season. They'll perish away. But a true tree is fed um, by real water, and it causes it to grow. So what are you feeding yourself? Are you feeding yourself with the Word of God that will produce fruit in your life? Or are you feeding yourself with things of the world, and you're just trying to place ornaments to cover uh, for the sin that you're really uh, living for. You know, in the church, there's going to be people that are both. And I hope that you do some self-evaluation to know which of the two trees are you. Are you producing genuine fruit, or are these things just um, a Christian outfit that you put on so they could be accepted and so you could find a community? But just know that the Lord knows. And if he knows by the time you see him, You'll have one or two responses either into, into his gates um, because you're a well and faithful servant or he tells you to depart from before he never knew you. May we check our own hearts and we look at our own life to see uh, if we are truly living in the Spirit. Let me close our series in the word of prayer. Heavenly Father, be with us as we think about uh, your goodness to us through the, death, through the life and death of your Son. We do ask that if we, as we look at these attributes, we realize that you exhibit each and every single one of them. You are a God that is, uh, that shows love, that shows, that is peace, is patient, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and you have self-control. And Lord, we want to emulate that uh, because that is your, that is the perfect picture of your Son. Or convict us in areas where we work on, give us grace to be able to grow in these areas so that other people can know and be interested in you, Lord. We praise you for your word, and thank you for this time that we have in studying uh, this passage, Lord. Pray these things your son's name. Amen. Well, thank you for listening through the, our series on the fruit of spirits. Um, I think if you're wondering what I'm going to do next, my hope is actually to go back to the Old Testament and just go through the book of Ezra, um, I'll explain a little bit more why, but I think it'll be fun to, uh, especially in the context we're in now, to study a book about just returning back uh, and, and, and returning to a, a place that um, that looks familiar, but it's also very different. Uh, so I look forward to going through the study with you. Okay, thanks. And have a blessed weekend.